You are listening to episode 167 of This is Type 1. Today I'm chatting with British author Matt Twinley, who released his debut novel in April 2022, titled The Blood Crystal. The Truce Keeper saga centers on a character with type 1 diabetes, and the entire magic system in this low fantasy realm is inspired by type 1 diabetes. Matt, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. So first of all, where did the type 1 diabetes magic idea come from? Uh, well, it was back in about 2016, 2017, my, um, my then girlfriend, now wife, Sophie, she uh, came over from America to do her master's at UCL in, uh, in London. And there was a, a time where we were just hanging out and she was doing uh, some work for a master's, which she always had to do. And I felt at a bit of a loose end because I wasn't really studying at the time. But I do like to write. And I was thinking about writing a bit then. And I thought of an old idea I had back when I was younger about uh, some sort of monster hunter who doesn't really hunt monsters, but he, uh, he kind of protects them. But Sophie, my current wife, uh, she's diabetic, type 1 diabetic. And while I was just writing away and she was studying, uh, she pricked her finger to, to test and sort of held it to, to a meter. And I kind of, in that moment, I felt really grateful for the technology that just kind of allowed her to live and just carry on her life as usual. And I thought it was magic because technology is kind of magical sometimes. I don't understand anything about it. The calculator is magical to me. And then I thought, wait, what if this kind of did create magic, you know, just pricking your, your finger and getting some blood. What if that caused magic? Um, and I've always had a weird obsession with crystals, not in a, a hippie way. But when I was a young kid, I really loved them. And I uh, remember when I was about nine years old, I got this weird crystal with some sort of zodiac bull in the middle. And that's always been in my mind, kind of like as a muse for some reason. And I kind of put the two things together, sort of pricking your finger, getting some blood, putting that to a crystal and magic happening. And I like the idea of magic actually having to cost something. So in, in a lot of fantasy, magic always sort of comes at a price. It's best when it comes at a price. So I like the idea that magic kind of drains you of, of blood or life force, something like that. And combining it with diabetes was kind of perfect because you don't really see diabetes or type 1 any, anyway mentioned anywhere in, in fantasy uh, or indeed fiction at all. So yeah, it was inspired by diabetes, but it's not all about diabetes, if that makes sense. Yeah. So why did you choose to write a book featuring a character with type 1? You, I mean, you could have just left the system where it just needs a drop of your blood to be magic. So why did you make the main character type 1? It was originally entirely that. I didn't have the main character as diabetic to begin with. So very early drafts, she's, well, she's just normal, able-bodied. Uh, and it was only when I was uh, tweaking it and probably redrafting it for the seventh or eighth time that I showed it to, I think she was probably my wife by then, I showed it to Sophie and I said, there's just something missing with Hannah. I don't really you know what it is. And she said, well, if the whole magic system is based on type 1 diabetes, why not just make her type 1 diabetic? And I thought I had a response, like, oh, well, she can't be diabetic because blah, 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 blah. And then I realized, actually, no, there's no reason why she can't be type 1 diabetic. And actually makes the story, makes her character a lot more interesting if she was diabetic. And then I realized that short of a, a guy with glasses waving a magic wand, there's not really anyone in fiction with disabilities of some sort. There's, I mean, especially type 1 diabetes. I didn't really know anything about it before Sophie. 
So I really like the idea of having a character with type 1 diabetes in a story which otherwise has very little to do with type 1 diabetes. And I really fit the character. But primarily what really pushed me to do it is I was kind of writing it for a young version of Sophie. Because when she was younger, apart from having a few friends who had type 1 diabetes, there weren't many people. And I think in a way she did feel quite lonely. She was diagnosed when she was two years old, I think. So it spent a lot of her, her life kind of the only one, or just maybe a couple of others who were diabetic. I think she, well, she's told me that she wishes she had some sort of role model, someone that she could have looked up to, to know that type one doesn't really hold you back. And representation matters, whether it's, you know, sexuality, color of skin, et cetera, and ability as well. It's, it's all about representation. So that's why I wrote a character with type one, kind of for a younger version of her. And for any young person with diabetes. First of all, Sophie and I are diabetes diagnosis twins because I was also I was also two years old. Hey, that's (laughs) wonderful. Well, not wonderful, but a nice coincidence. I I mean, I actually consider it more of a blessing that I was diagnosed that young because I grew Mm. up knowing nothing else. And I was also I also went to diabetes camp starting when I was six. So I always had that community around me which I didn't realize wasn't normal for type ones until I started this podcast and started interviewing people who had never met another type one in their life. (laughs) Sophie went to lots of camps as well. Yeah, it's a very similar experience. Okay, well, even more twins. (laughs) (laughs) How did you approach Hannah's type one without making it really a token plot point? Like, because we see that a lot in major media with movies and TV shows that use it as something to just kind of poke at or they use it in or the wrong way, or it just doesn't make sense. So how did you avoid that kind of problem? Well, that was quite tricky. And in a way, I was scared that it would seem like a like a token thing, or almost like I was taking advantage of it, especially because I'm not type 1 diabetic. I felt in a way it is kind of using her. So it felt a little weird. I didn't want it to to be a sort of just a token mention. But what I did is I tried to make it just an important part of her character. And I wanted it to kind of focus focus on her struggles with it, but not just be a token message. So issues with type 1 diabetes can be seen in lots of little bits, but I don't just mention it here and then never mention it again. It's not just to make her slightly different. And I didn't want the whole the whole plot to be about type 1 diabetes either. I kind of wanted it to just be about the plot I had originally. And just this was something that made the character interesting, but it still focused on it a fair amount because it it is a big part of your life. It's not just something you can just chuck in there and then forget about. So I try to speak to to Sophie a lot. So I know how it is in your everyday life. And I've just tried to normalize it, I think. So there's lots of references here and there. I don't just forget about it. And I try to make it have... I don't want to say real life consequences because it's fantasy, but there are still real consequences for when she's low, for example. And yeah, I just wanted to include the real world experiences. It just makes it a bit more interesting, I thought. So I'm admittedly only about 30% the way through the book. Uh And I'm not sure if this is spoilery or not, but I found it interesting that once she goes to this other fantasy world, the diabetes is no longer a problem. Is that something too spoil- spoilerly to, to talk about, or no. can you address that? No, no, that's not spoilery at all. No, so when she does enter the kind of the magical part, yeah, no, she doesn't have diabetes, which 
I mean, as far as Sophie was concerned, when I told her, she was like, wow, that sounds amazing. I'd love to go there. And I do want this to be kind of a, a perfect place where everyone wants to go. But she doesn't stay there for the whole book. And in the future ones, she's she's there even less. So it does become strange because she has to grapple with the, the kind of having to deal with it and then not having to deal with it, being diabetic, not being diabetic. So yeah, no, it, it's not just a token bit where I mentioned a little bit at the beginning when she enters this magical world and then she's never diabetic again. She is still type 1 diabetic and it does crop up quite a lot as it goes on. Okay, um, now I'm looking yeah. forward to the part where she goes back to the real world and has to deal with all the diabetes stuff again. Oh yeah. In the middle of battles, sort of magical battles, sword battles, she, she gets low and it just makes things so much harder. Oh, I can just imagine if mm-hmm. this was turned into like a movie or a TV show, you just say, hold on, let me just shove Smarties in my mouth. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, monsters aren't going to stop to let you treat a low, they just take advantage. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, and I didn't want any magic to treat this either, because that would kind of take away from, from a lot of the struggles. So yeah, even in the magical world, there's, there's no cure for it. You just have to let it make you who you are. Oh, I love that. So you mentioned future books. How many books do you have uh-huh. planned right now for the True Scooper Saga? So there's at least four or so. So my first one is out and I'm, I'm planning the second one. And I'm trying to sort of think of interesting ways of, of incorporating Type 1 into it. And I've got a few ideas. Again, I don't want it to be all about Type 1. But no, there's going to be a, at least four. That's going to be the, the main overarching story. That sounds awesome. I like four in a series. <laughs> my bo- My series is also four, so... Good on you there. Perfect. Good number. Yeah. <laughs> How has your wife's type 1 diabetes impacted your life in particular? I know there's a story about a recent holiday you wanted to share. Uh, yeah. It's weird because it, it hasn't, it hasn't really impacted my life because obviously I don't have type 1. So I suppose my health of my body hasn't been impacted and it hasn't really restricted or stopped Sophie and I doing anything. But I find like a lot of the time you have to be quite mindful and have a few considerations so if we go to do an activity sophie always wants to tell whoever's leading the activity that she has type 1 diabetes so if she starts fiddling with something it's her pump or if she starts eating it's not rude it's because she's low and oh when when we got married she uh she had to have a special little pocket made in her dress for her pump so the, the wedding dressmaker sort of really went above and beyond making this secret little compartment where she could hide her pump. And she had to put her little freestyle libra elsewhere for the wedding dress as well. So there's a lot of things that we have to um, find ways to work around. But I do find for me, the way it's impacted me, or that hasn't impacted her nearly as much, it hasn't impacted me nearly as much as it has impacted her, is she relies on me a lot. It's not that she can't do it herself, but I think it's easier when there's someone else to sort of share the burden with. So when I'm done with this, because it's midnight over here in England, I have to wake her up to test because she's a little high at the moment. And I have to help her with any pump issues. We had a pretty major uh, pump issue in Croatia the other month, which she doesn't really want me to talk about, but I'm going to talk about it just a little bit anyway. So we went to Croatia, which was very exciting for me because they filmed Game of Thrones there. So I was on a real sort of geek fest there. And we were going to uh, an island. I got to pose on the Iron Throne, have lots of pictures taken. It was wonderful. And then we decided to walk up to uh, a fortress. 
old sort of medieval fortress. To get there, we had to walk up the path of paradise, which I discovered was some sort of sick joke because it was not a nice walk. It was almost straight up and it was exhausting in like a hundred degree heat. We were hot. We were sweaty. She was miserable. She got really low. So she was sort of eating melted chocolate as we were in this horrific heat. It was horrible. And there's a nice little lake surrounded by cliffs. And we just wanted to jump in the lake, cool off and just relax. And we did. And it was only about 10 minutes after swimming around that she realized she still had a pump on. And in, I think, 15, 20 years, she's been wearing a pump. She has never, ever, 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 ever forgotten to take it off. This was the only time. And I think it was only because we were so hot and exhausted and miserable. That's the only reason she forgot. So we swam back to shore, which was a really uncomfortable swim when you're swimming as fast as you can. We clambered out, the battery out, tried to dry it, dry it in the sun, and it just wasn't working. And it was even worse because we were on an island as well. So we had to get a ferry from this island back to um, Dubrovnik in Croatia. We found this uh, first aid team who are effectively 17-year-old children getting work experience. They had no idea what to do. They didn't know what diabetes was. They took us to a pharmacy and kind of awkwardly translated as we tried to get insulin pens because she didn't have a backup which we have since learned you always need to have. I think because after 20 years of having a pump, she's never needed a backup. Anyway, the only pens they had were um, long-acting insulin, kind of like for a basal more than a bolus, which wasn't ideal. It's not what she's used to. So we tried to get in contact with diabetic nurses in the UK, and there weren't any available. We tried phoning up emergency nurses in the UK, but they didn't want to give us any advice over the phone, which was annoying. But fortunately, my mum knows a diabetic nurse and she passed us over to them and she helped us uh, work out the, the right the right amount to inject her. But she was still really worried. So she advised us to go to a hospital. So we went to uh, the ER in Croatia. I don't know if it's usually like this over there, but it was. have you seen The Walking Dead at the very beginning where he wakes up in the hospital and it's completely abandoned? It was a bit nope. like that. Was, I am not a there zombie was person. Nobody. Uh, well, I wouldn't have been surprised if a zombie just leapt around the corner because it was completely abandoned. We wandered around the hospital for about 10 minutes, finally found someone who, who points us to the ER, and they said that this wasn't the right ER, we needed to go to another ER, but they might not be there because they might be out drinking. I don't know why the ER is out drinking. Maybe that's just a, a continental Europe thing. Whatever. Somehow we managed to find this dilapidated hut where someone was hiding inside. Presumably this person wasn't invited to go out drinking. And she managed to get us in contact with a pharmacy who had Nova Rapid, which is pretty much the exact insulin pen she needed. And she begrudgingly wrote out a prescription just to get rid of us. And then we had it, which is fantastic. We had uh, the uh, long-lasting, long-acting insulin, which help us, and an over-rapid, which is just perfect. But Sophie hates needles, and she just can't inject herself. So it's me the the next couple of days waking up in the middle of the night to jab her while I'm sort of bleary-eyed. And then even on the plane ride home, we weren't next to each other. I was right behind her. And the people in front didn't want to switch spaces. So I had to lean over and inject her right in front of them with their kind of disgusted looks resting on me. But yeah, no, it's so that's how it's impacted me most recently. Uh, I wouldn't say it ruined the holiday. Quite, it made it quite interesting and exciting in a way. But yeah, it, 
can impact even holidays if you're not fully prepared. So that's yeah. a big takeaway tip. Always be prepared. Always have a backup because even if you've worn a pump problem-free for 20 years, issues can still happen. But yeah, we've got a replacement pump now. All fine. We love the NHS in this country. Really I don't know say- how we could last without it. Yeah. I will say that after 27 years with, with type 1 and being on a pump for almost 20 years now exactly, this year is the first year of my adult life where I've taken care of myself with insurance and stuff that I've actually got long acting insulin as a backup. So it's not oh, just, really? it's not just your wife. Not just that. <laughs> it's also, I think across the board, when you have a good experience and you don't think you need one, then you don't yeah. end up getting it until you actually need it. So I, yeah, <laughs> that is a that fantastic a big... story though. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a big sort of conclusion to that story, but it's I'm actually going to try and use it in my in the second book because I thought this is just such a an interesting event, and I kind of like I didn't like how it left Sophie feeling. It was horrid how she was feeling, but I like the idea of my character feeling that way at the beginning of the next book, and it's a way for them to develop and stop doubting themselves. So, so I try to find inspiration in the in the sadder moments <laughs> for all of our, our listeners who are not writers our jobs as writers is to make the characters lives as difficult as possible <laughs> and this includes making it so like they lose their pump on an island <laughs> oh yeah it, it, it was it was horrible but yeah no i might as well look at the look optimistically have a silver lining and use that in a book because yeah, I mean, in the, in the moment with those experiences, it's okay to just hate it and just feel awful and then just deal with it. But later when we can look back and find all the lessons in it, that's where it becomes really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there are lessons to learn. Right. Always that, be prepared. Right. <laughs> so that being said, and I mean, being prepared is a good, good actionable takeaway. Are there any, is there anything else that you think our listeners can do or um, talk to their partners about to improve their lives with type one? Yeah, I think honest, well, honestly, um, it's all about honesty. If you are just really open and you communicate with your wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, whatever, if you just open and educate them, you can share the burden. No one understands your type one more than you. So you will have to explain it. And I remember when I first got together with Sophie, she said, before we get serious, I need to let you know I'm type one diabetic. And I was just thinking, okay. I don't know what that is, but I'd look like a really bad guy if I bailed now. So I just nodded, went, "Mm mm-hmm, okay. And it was only through experience I learned what it was. So you do just need to be patient, educate your partner if they don't have type 1, let them know, and also don't let it get in the way of, of life. You know, always have a backup. Don't take your pump in the water. That's stupid, but it does happen. But yeah, no, do just explain to your partner, share the burden with I mean, they're a partner. It's kind of there in the world. They're there to support you and help you in everything in life. And type one's just a part of it sometimes. So yeah, don't hide it. Don't try and take it on yourself. Your partner's there to help you. Be honest with them. And they're there to help. And I'm happy I'm there to help Sophie because I know she can take, she can take on herself. She'd be absolutely fine. But I like being there just to make it a little bit easier. Yep. That's pretty much exactly the same stuff my husband says. So you're, you're both on the same page. <laughs> Good. All right. Where can listeners get a copy of The Blood Crystal? They can find it on Amazon. Nice and easy to get. Or I suppose it's easier if 
you can also get it from my website, but it's probably a little harder from the US. So any UK listeners, you can always get it from the website, but Amazon's the easiest place to find it as it is with everything. I think if you go to other shops like Barnes & Noble, if they don't have it there, you can ask them to order it in. It's very easy to find. All right. And where can people find you online? I'm on Instagram. Weirdly, I've got two accounts. One is more like a personal public one. One is more sort of an author book-focused one. But yeah, I'm, I'm online just at Matt Twinley with three T's in the middle. Two for the Matt, one for the Twinley. And TikTok as well, because everyone's on TikTok now. We love spending hours scrolling through. Wasting our lives. <laughs> all right. So the links to all of those will be in the show notes. Matt, thank you so much for, for joining me to talk about fantasy and diabetes and all of the fun stuff in between. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Now it is your turn. What is your favorite part about seeing type 1 diabetes representation in books and other media? If you were going to write a story with a type 1 diabetic character, how would you do it? Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.